G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. On a Monday, we like to check in with Martin Isles, the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin Isles, welcome back to 2020. It's good to be back, Neil. Good morning. Hey, Martin, over the weekend, the US Supreme Court, they did come good on what was anticipated overturning the landmark 1973 Roe v. Wade decision that enshrined a woman's right to abortion. There was a lot of relief happening around the world from pro-life advocates. How did you feel when you heard the news? Well, I hadn't allowed myself to get too excited when the leaked opinion came to light because I knew it was just a draft. It was from as far back as February. Uh, And, you know, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, in my mind, was such a monumental decision for the U.S. legal and cultural landscape that I just didn't allow myself to get too excited, just in case it didn't happen, Neil. So when this decision finally came out, I must say, I just, I just said, praise God, you know, uh, it's one of the most wonderful things that's happened uh, politically uh, in my lifetime. Um, and it is going to have a seismic impact on the U.S. and it's going to have a seismic impact um, probably on uh, world attitudes to abortion in the West uh, because of the scale of the rollback. Uh, here's the, the simple fact. In 1972, when Roe versus Wade was, was uh, handed down, uh, the Supreme Court invented a right to abortion in the U.S. Constitution. Anyone who's read the U.S. Constitution knows that that right isn't in there. Uh, it just doesn't say anything about it. It doesn't say anything that's even slightly about it. Uh, but the uh, the case really stood for the principle that there could be extra rights sort of added in uh, as the culture changes and uh, the document the, the constitution is a sort of living document that can give birth to these new rights. Uh, and the truth is, it's not in there. So even those who are pro-abortion should be able to see that fact that this was a fabrication. It wasn't in there. Uh, But the great thing is that, well, now in America, there is no universal right to an abortion. It is not a constitutionally guaranteed right at all. Uh, And each state can now make their own laws uh, and they can make their own laws to restrict or enable abortion as they please. And the practical outcome of that is that somewhere between 20 to 30 U.S. states, remembering there's 50 in total, somewhere between 20 and 30 of them are going to enact significant abortion restrictions. Uh, And uh, that includes states where abortion will be banned altogether, except in very extreme cases like preserving the life of the mother. Uh, For example, Texas, for example, Oklahoma. In fact, abortion clinics are already shutting down in states like Alabama because they had trigger laws that were set to uh, come alive as soon as uh, Roe versus Wade was overturned in the future. Uh, And you think of something like Texas. It's the second most populous state in the U.S. This is this decision has already saved many lives. 60 million children had been aborted since 1972. 
uh, we're already seeing lives being saved and a new pro-life culture emerging in America. Martin, as you say, the whole world took a lead from the laws that came out of Roe versus Wade, and that includes Australia. Australia has been influenced by the laws that the Americans have had around abortion. And uh, there's an interesting development here, and as you say, it's not constitutionally right for the Supreme Court to have made a law about that, and so they've just really rectified that and said it wasn't our place to do that, and so each of those 50 states now get to make their own laws. But here in Australia, let me get your impressions about Australia, because in Australia, uh, each of the states get to make their own laws. Any thoughts here as to how the comparison might be for how we do things in Australia? Well, you're right, Neil. There's a similarity in America now in that each state decides. Now, in Australia, each state also decides and has done for a long time. The difference in Australia is that most of the states seem to follow each other. Um, Most of the states seem to have similar legal frameworks on most things, including abortion. Uh, And when one state takes a step, the other states tend to follow one after the other. And so what we've seen in Australia is a progressive rolling out of abortion to birth. Uh, with no or extremely limited restrictions on that, on the availability of abortion to birth, which is dreadful. The reason so many states in America are enacting restrictions is because of the obvious truth for those who really know what abortion is, that at least late-term abortion is incredibly brutal. Uh, it uh, is done to an unborn child that can feel the pain. Uh, it requires tearing a child limb from limb, uh, it's a it's a brutal and and honestly disgusting process that really belongs in the dark ages, uh, and so in Australia you have that legalised and no one wants to talk about it, uh, and I do think that this culture of abortion to birth in legislation really did uh, come from America. It's not a European phenomenon. Uh, European countries tend to have more restrictions. Uh, But America really started it in 1972 with Roe versus Wade. Canada definitely has followed suit. New Zealand has followed suit. Australia has followed suit. I think there has been a real cultural wave here. And I was very interested to note that uh, many politicians from around the world, including Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand, including our our own Susan Lay, the deputy leader of the opposition, uh, they all came out and sort of lamented the decision to overturn Roe versus Wade because they know the practical implications that abortion will be reduced in America. And I thought to myself, why are they concerned about what has just happened in the American Supreme Court, when they are the leaders of other countries or they're in the political system of other countries. And the reason they are speaking up and the reason they're suddenly getting interested in the abortion subject is because they are pro-abortion and they know full well that what has just happened in America is going to have implications. It's going to have run-on effects for the pro-life movement here. And that's why when I spoke at the recent Rally for Life in Perth, I talked about Roe. Uh, versus Wade. And I talked about the fact that only 30 people met in the week after Roe versus Wade was handed down to plan the pro-life movement's response. Just 30 people. And now the US has the largest annual human rights demonstration in the world in the March for Life in Washington, D.C. every year. And now the U.S. has more pro-life justices than pro-abortion justices in the U.S. Supreme Court. And the fruit is coming through. And yes, the pro-life movement in Australia might be comparatively smaller, but I have seen unbelievable growth in that movement. 
and I have seen far more political pushback against new abortion laws in places like South Australia than we used to see in places like Victoria back in 2008. So there are changes here, and I think this is the pro-life generation in Australia. I don't just say that as a marketing slogan. I think things are changing. Martin, I'll ask you about what we might do as individuals in just a moment. But before that, uh, two areas that our federal parliament should immediately attend to. Give us your insights into what might happen from here, turning back this wave. Well, I think... um What we need to do is to continue to raise this uh, issue with our friends and family first. Uh, You mentioned there what we might do. Uh, Here's here's the reality. People change their minds on abortion. They just do. Uh, When they see what it really is, uh, so long as they themselves uh, have not been implicated in an abortion and they don't have the issues of the guilt and shame that that brings, uh, which is an added complexity, which we have to be careful about. But people's minds do change otherwise when they see what abortion really is. See, we call we call it, you know, a woman's right to choose. We call it uh, uh, just a fetus. Uh, we say, well, that's an abortion. That's in a terminations clinic or a women's health center. We cover it in all this socially respectable language and we cover it in all these all these things that stop us seeing the, the raw, brutal, horrible truth about it. And when you're able to show people, uh, whether it be through some of the videos that these pro-life organizations put out uh, or whether it be through conversation, uh, when you show people what it really is, And that's relevant not just to personal conversations, but it is relevant to our political efforts as well. I think that we need to be talking to our elected representatives and we need to be talking to those in politics to show them uh, to show them what this really is. And we all have an elected representative. We all meet people in politics. We should be doing that to start this slow journey back. But also, I'd say to people, look, when there is a pro-life rally in your neck of the woods, please go. These things really matter, and the larger they are, the better, and they are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Be a part of the pro-life movement and understand that Rome wasn't built in a day. Understand that Roe versus Wade took 50 years to overturn, but I'm so glad for the faithful pro-lifers who went to the rallies, who participated in the campaigns from groups like ACL and the pro-lifers with the equivalents in America, and who spoke to their friends and spoke to the politicians and the political people that they knew for 50 years because it was worth it. Uh, And I just want to say that to people, you know, it's not overnight, but get involved. Martin, I imagine that what we as parents say to our own kids or what grandparents might say to their grandchildren, all of this is a part of it. Uh, For individuals thinking, what difference can I make today on this issue? What are your thoughts? Look, I would say talk to somebody about it. Uh, that's, that's my thought. And uh, I know it's a hard thing to talk about, but, you know, that's what life is, is made of, is, is hard conversations and sensitive issues. And us as Christians, we're always trying to find ways to uh, drop something significant into a conversation, aren't we? And we're always trying to find ways to be a witness to our, our friends, our family, and the people we encounter day by day. Uh, raise the subject with somebody. You know, say, hey, did you hear about that decision in the US with the Supreme Court? They might say, that was terrible, that was disgusting. Don't fight with them. Just say to them, you know what, I have a different view. And, and, and you will not convince them on the spot, 
Uh, but you might just put a rock in their shoe, as a friend of mine says. You might just give them something to think about, something to go away with. Or if they're open, you might want to show them one of the videos or the resources that are only two or three minutes long from a group like Live Action, a US pro-life group that put out this stuff with the express purpose of giving you a resource to show someone to change their mind. Uh, and yeah, they won't change their mind on the spot necessarily, but they'll go away and they'll think about it. I think we need to have these conversations in appropriate ways without being argumentative uh, with people who we think we can do it safely with. I just think we need to start doing that. The Australian taboo on politics needs to be just uh, a little bit, um, a little bit uh, loosened uh, and we need to be more bold about this stuff. But, but at the same time, without being argumentative and without getting up in people's faces. I think there's a real place for that. These issues get where they get to so often because no one talks about them and it's all swept under the rug. Uh, and so, look, and as you say, Neil, it might be a child, it might be someone in your family as well. You know, we've all got a sphere of influence, every one of us, no matter how small or large. So don't be afraid to talk about these things with your children, with your grandchildren, around the water cooler at work, every opportunity you can. Raise this in conversation. And if you come across those who have a pro-abortion view, at least you can express that not everyone holds that view and you hold a pro-life position. Hey, there's a number of other issues on the agenda, and that one's the big one to talk about today. But uh, let's quickly touch on some things here, Martin. The ACT proposed changes to the Discrimination Act. This one's pretty serious for people in the ACT. Yes, it is. And I'm concerned that it's a, a portent of things to come in other states as well, Neil. The main change to this Discrimination Act, which should concern people, is just that they're chipping away at the rights of churches, uh, Christian schools, Christian charities, other faith-based institutions to select staff who share their ethos. Uh, now, of course, it's important to note that this is a right without which a Christian institution isn't going to be Christian anymore. A Christian school isn't going to be Christian for long if you can't have staff that share the ethos, that promote the ethos, that live out the ethos, and that you know perpetuate that ethos in the in the institution. Uh, political parties have this right. That's how the Liberal Party stays liberal because they employ people who share their ethos. That's how the Greens Party stays green. They employ people who share their ethos, but. What's good for the goose isn't good for the gander, unfortunately, according to these politicians. They will keep the right for their parties, but they want to undermine it for faith-based institutions, churches, Christian schools, etc. Uh, and the big change is this. They say, look, uh, you can employ people uh, who share your uh, faith um, so long as uh, it is... Uh, it needs to be done to avoid injury to your religious doctrines, which is hard enough to prove. Uh, but then they say, and this is the addition, it is reasonable in the circumstances. And you'll say to yourself, well, what's reasonable in the circumstances? How does anybody know that? You know, good question. Unfortunately, uh, that question will be uh, uh, punted off to the Human Rights Commission and they will answer it for you. And they will decide what your doctrine is and they will decide what's reasonable for your Christian institution and they will decide what your staffing practices ought to be. So a very big concern in the ACT as they chip away at the rights of uh, Christian organisations to stay Christian. And um, we've seen similar sorts of uh, things talked about in other states as well. Uh, and, a, and, a, and a law with a similar impact has actually passed in Victoria not long ago. So this is the way of the future, unfortunately. We did have a forum in the ACT. Over 400 people attended, which was wonderful. 
And I'd say to any Territorians in Canberra, look, do send a, uh, a message to your MLA, your, your local representative, uh, and express your disappointment about this. And maybe make the political parties comparison. It's a very good argument uh, and one that they would relate to. Martin, very quickly, developments in South Australia around harmful legislation for gender dysphoric children. Just touch on that, what's developing there. Yeah, this isn't one of these um, uh, that's coming down the line. And uh, what we're seeing in South Australia is moves afoot uh, again to uh, change the way that gender dysphoric children are handled by professionals and the way we're able to talk about them uh, to try and bring in the affirmative model, they call it. And all that means is, let's say you have a little girl and she's got questions. If you tell that little girl, look, you are a little girl, you know, it's okay. Uh, the concern then is that the practitioner uh, or the person involved is going to be charged with uh, conversion therapy or doing something illegal, uh, which is ridiculous because you consider the alternative, which is, aha, well, you've got questions, do you? Well, let's explore things. Maybe you're a little boy. Maybe we should call you he. Maybe we should get you on the puberty blockers. Maybe you're non-binary. Maybe you're something else. Well, apparently that person is not doing anything wrong. They are helping this little girl to explore her gender identity and they're affirming her exploration of her gender identity. So all is well. Now, again, this is something that if people understood the reality of what gender transition really involves, it's a bit like abortion, right? They would suddenly say to themselves, this is dreadful. We're destroying kids' lives. So that's very sad to see that development coming through in the standards in South Australia. It's something we just vehemently oppose. It's a real attack on kids. Um, and uh, look, there will be a campaign about that, so stay tuned. And be proactive. Contact your parliamentarian and say you've heard about this and you don't like it. And it's similar in Tasmania too. Uh, oppressive laws that are proposed, uh, moving to introduce the most uh, 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 oppressive laws around conversion suppression legislation. That's all going ahead in Tasmania as well. Well, in Tasmania, there's a Tasmanian Law Reform Institute report that's come out recommending a full-blown regime of conversion therapy laws, uh, right down to saying in the Tasmanian case that the promotion of the view uh, of heteronormative views, basically, which is the view that boys are boys, girls are girls, boys become men, girls become women, men marry women and have children, right? That's apparently now discredited ideology, according to the Law Reform Institute, but the promotion of those views in certain ways they believe should be made hate speech. So the Tasmanian situation is very severe indeed. And if you were in Tasmania and you missed our, our, our forums on this, we do have information about the issue on our website. And also you definitely should be getting in touch with your MP to say that the Law Reform Institute report should never become law because the Premier has indicated that it might. So Tasmanians are in a really bad situation there and really do need to be mobilised. Well, Martin, have run out of time, but for listeners to follow along the developments on all of these issues that we're talking about, you might want to connect with the Australian Christian Lobby. Simply visit their website, acl.org.au. That's acl.org.au. Martin Niles, thanks so much for updating us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. My pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.